Welcome back to The Few Show, everybody. I'm joined today by my guest, David Ledgerwood. Ledge is a B2B sales expert and 13X founder. He's a managing partner at Ad One Zero, which provides outsourced revenue and sales functions for tech-enabled B2B service companies looking to leap from six to seven figures of annual revenue. He co-hosts the Leaders of B2B podcast and is the proud father of five. Welcome to the show, Ledge. It's good to be here, Jim. Nice to hang out again. You know, proud father of five. Like I, I too am a proud father of five. Like it's a, it's a small miracle that you're here, that we're both here right now. Right. Right. I always say like I earned my haircut, not just from startups. Like the hardest thing I think in the world, if uh, if you're not a parent, you know, so parenting is is the only thing harder than startuping. <laughs> like, yes, I actually that. call them my organic startups, you know, so you, you, you don't get to A-B split test. You only get one go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Well, I, I don't know. Like the one piece on that, I feel like we are kind of because I started out with my two stepkids and so my wife's 12 years older. Yeah. My stepkids are only, well, my oldest stepdaughter is only 10 years younger than me. So I come on board 22 years old. She's 12 years old. So I had my first crack at it with wow. a teenager. Mm-hmm. And now our kids that we've had together are teenagers. So I'm like, all right, this is kind of a round two for me. You made it. You made it. I, yeah. I'm not scared. But I also have a blended two. blended family situation with two sons of my own and three stepdaughters. And uh, we actually have a commuter marriage. So my wife lives in Dallas. I live in Nashville. Uh, so we're each about 90% uh, single parent. I call it solo parenting since we're not single. But gotcha. we're on our own. And uh, we get together every other weekend. So the, the joke is, you know, half the people say, man, that must be so hard. And uh, half the people say, you know, hey, can you get my wife to do that? And so, you know, so. <laughs> you know it's funny. My wife, and her, my wife and I are considering sleeping in separate rooms. It's like, I mean, we talk, like, let's go back to the drawing board and consider, like, whoever told us we had to do things this way? It's like we wake each other up in the middle of the night. And it's like it's I know that some people are. You know, probably feeling that's a sign of a, a you know marriage on the rocks or something. But I'm like, come on, that's like, I would sleep better. I think we'd enjoy each other's company more. Why not give it a shot? You know, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, one thing that's true is like we we get to miss each other, and uh, you know when we get together, there's anticipation and excitement, yeah, and good. you know having something to look forward to. But getting over that middle weekend is always you know sort of. Tough. That's that's our actual hump day. Is that middle Sunday? We're just like, this is depressing. I wish we could hang out a little bit. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but hey, guys we're busy all the time. Day. You know, always yeah. busy. Uh, yeah, but I know. I, I think it's great to just you know forget all the rules and consider what works best for you guys. Uh, it's a good um, it's a good metaphor for our you know shared startup life. That's for yeah, sure. You know, totally. like, let's not make assumptions. So. Absolutely. You know, speaking of, let's let's jump to Ad One Zero. I'd love to know a little bit more about what you guys do and the audience that you serve. Yeah, yeah. Niche audience. Uh, uh, over the course of my uh, many entrepreneurial singles, doubles, and strikeouts, I came to understand that uh, it's interesting because we have all kinds of abilities as founders and, and regularly use it. I mean, you guys know, like I could outsource my customer success, I could outsource my customer service, I could get fractional COO, CFO, CMO, any of these things. Yeah. And But if you really, really looked, like I couldn't find a fractional revenue officer, VP of sales, or really closer, you know? And so that's just like, people, people want money. They need revenue more than they actually need 
consulting or coaching or training mm-hmm. or you know the ability to buy uh, outbound lead gen services or like there's all kinds of stuff that are you know expensive and in our world and I just started to wonder like why can't we do actual fractional closing like let's, let's, if we focus on revenue mm-hmm. for and and I like services companies so it's a b2b services I say tech enabled because it, it just it's almost moot at this point we all had to be this way now but we started yeah. prior to you know everybody's stuck at home everybody's on zoom all the time and it was a little weird you know we'd have to have that argument like well you can't sell what we do on zoom we need to press the flesh and, you know, visit people and say, okay, you know, and uh, a lot of those people called back uh, <laughs> in the last year said, yeah, please, no help, please help us sell on Zoom. Um, but I have been and have worked for and with the founders who have brute force had to do sales. So you've got mm-hmm. to get this company up to something that is plausible in that quarter million to half million dollar type of, of annual revenue, which... Yeah effectively demonstrates we at least have a thing we have some customers they'll pay us for it product or service market fit uh it's not a go-to-market problem right Mm -hmm. and a lot of times those people actually do have leads they just kind of can't figure out what to do with them Mm -hmm. or how do i scale this and the Mm -hmm. other thing that happens at that point really consistently i'm nearly certain of this is you kind of get to that point as a founder you go all right i can either keep selling and i need an operator to run my business, you know, actually scale my team and scale my services and yeah. all those things, or I can become an operator, but I'm screwed because nobody knows how to sell. And what do I do at that point? And the typical answers or available answers when I looked was, well, I can hire an outbound, you know, SDR or uh, your proverbial, and I hate this phrase, but you hear it all the time, the young and hungry commission only sales rep. <laughs> uh, and I hate that. Yeah, but the ones true. that you buy in spite of them, not because of them. Right. Or uh, hire a VP of sales. I'm going to get a closer with a Rolodex, you know, somebody who's done this before. And all of those are rife with issues at that particular stage of company development in services. You simply do not have enough money to hire that person. And a lot of people will go out and blow an incredible amount of money on it. And also find at that point, your VP of sales actually wants to manage and grow a sales team. They kind of don't want to go and be closer anymore because they, yeah. you know, they perceive that they're kind of uh, and maybe have earned themselves up in the world where let's build a sales organization. Well, that mm-hmm. that doesn't help me close money. And uh, we wanted to slide in there and make a solution that said, like, look, while we build you a playbook, while we build you a scalable revenue operation, we need to be on calls and we need to close you business. So I said, okay, like, what's that look like? And, you know, it was kind of like that, that critical 10x stage between 500k and 5 million is, uh, is the area where the founder and operator needs to be paying attention and building and scaling and working on customer success and working on quality assurance and, you know, all the things. I mean, there's just so much to do there. Mm -hmm. They can't also be selling. If they don't want to be selling at that point, you didn't have a good set of options. So, so let's slide in there and build that thing. And uh, that's what we did. And you know, the kiss of death or the stupidest thing I tell an entrepreneur never to say is nobody else is doing this, you know, because that's probably like a real boondoggle uh, for all kinds of reasons. But uh, 
I don't know. We just did what I thought made sense, and mm -hmm. I set up a team and a set of, and my partner, particularly who you know, I said I can't do this without you because I suck at doing the things you do. Um, so I think that's an important, you know, entrepreneurial story as well. But we just set up and said, I don't know why this is impossible. I, I know why it's hard, but let's do this because I think this is necessary. And and we came up with our sort of not mission or vision or it's like that didn't resonate with us. But what, what did resonate was this sort of passion statement coming out of my own experience. Like any founder we work with will never have to worry about cash flow again. Mm. And that paired with this a, a ridiculous like focus on revenue is really where it all kind of came together. And we started playbooking that and uh, some some awesome early clients gave us a shot to sort of say, hey, can we try this thing on you? Yeah. you want, to, want to be our crash test dummy for this? I think this will work, but, um, and, and then on the other side is, you know, you, you're supposed to have done all kinds of planning and revenue modeling and thinking like, all right, how's my business model look? And I cooked all that up in my head into this big uh, celestial spreadsheet and, and that could have been a total mess, uh, but it turned out I was right about that. So, you know, I, I don't know, I, I think it's, collection of experiences and identifying a thing that sucked and that there ought to be a better solution for and then figuring out how to build that. And, uh, you know, that's the path, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Ledger, do most of your clients have a steady stream of leads coming in? They just need help closing? Or do you also work with clients that need to find leads to be able to close? You would have difficulty getting to the point that we enter if you didn't have some leads. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would advise people that if you do not have five sort of inbound prospect kind of people that are trying to book a meeting with you, let me just advise you on how to think about and do that, get your business to that point. It's just simply not sustainable uh, prior five to a week. that. Five a week, yeah. yeah. Um, now, if you have a big ticket item, you know, like we don't have that for our business. So, I mean, it, it, it can vary, but let's say you're, you know, a sort of a regular, like we work with a lot of premium agency, professional service, mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that, where it's, it's clearly a B2B service. And I would advise that, you know, it's, we're not affordable unless someone has at least some kind of flow to sink your teeth into. Yeah. Um, what kind of, what kind of uh, like, I don't know, ARR would you expect? one of your clients to generate if they sold or if you sold uh, a deal? ARR is, uh, well, uh, you could extrapolate. So, I mean, we're, we want to look for companies that, uh, I think of it, MRR is more our mm -hmm. world. Sure. So, sure, but sure. yeah, um, at least like a $3,000 MRR type of situation yep. or, uh, you know, average contract value of a single project, you know, the at least approaches about 10,000 would be the limit where it would mm -hmm. become affordable. And that's where your agency yeah. work, you know, agency and project work, um, you know, high value scope type of stuff yeah. works best. It won't, I, I don't know what we would do with somebody that had, you know, a, even a, you know, $500 a month or a thousand a month. Like it's just Probably not affordable. Yeah. yeah. You need too much volume. Yeah. So I'm curious, the, the AEs that are closing deals, what is your general expectation? We're talking, you know, B2B service world. What is your general expectation on the percentage of deals that they would close? It seems to, well, it's funny because like expectation, you know, is really that like, so what's your goal, you know, or what's your quota uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing, right? And uh, my, I have a video about this because I just kind of think that's 
at this size of company and this type of company, it's I understand people need to budget, but I more often than not find the budget or goal comes from, oh, here's how much money we want to spend. Therefore, mm -hmm. we need that much sales. And, and that's not realistic. But um, I can tell you that we would typically walk into a company on average. It's been uh, the call to close ratio is kind of our, our favorite metric. Mm -hmm. And that is at best six to 10 percent usually when we walk in and we've been able to raise that on average to about 22%. And so okay. that seems to be uh, the peak. I don't know if, uh, I bet additional qualification and you know, sort of ref refining in the funnel, there's all types of things yeah. that you would get into uh, further down the road to, to drive that up. Let me uh, ask you this, on, the, on that note, before we move on, I wanna dig a little bit deeper. So my thought was like, what, and, and I, wanna, I wanna hear from you because you have a lot more experience than I do in this area, but pre-sales call, Mm -hmm. If we share with them our, our one pager, we make it clear what our pricing is, sell right. our, show them our deck, and then my co-founder and I are in the final stages of putting together a, a very lengthy video sales letter. We're talking yep. like over an hour that just fully explains our ethos, the oh, way wow. we do things, the way we treat people, etc. And the, the hypothesis is if we share all of that with them, we recognize a certain percentage of people won't view that, or maybe they'll be part of it, but they'll probably glance at the, at the one pager, and they at least understand the range that we charge, if they're a bad fit, I'd like to, to think that we wouldn't end up on a sales call and thus we'd have fewer sales call, but they'd be sales calls, but they'd be more um, qualified. qualified. Yep. But I guess there's downside potentially, right? Like we would maybe scare somebody away that didn't get a chance to connect with us, right? Curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a balance. Uh, so ideally we want to come into a company and, and optimize the funnel activities such that it drives meetings. So first, don't put the gates up like so no qualifying questions on the form uh you know don't expose stuff that will scare people away and that's just so let's get the highest possible sample size of what actually will get through the door knowing that a fair number of those calls will be crap or uh, a lot of times at the beginning when you do that the no-show rate is terrible uh, but then Having done that, we can accumulate and we will do this, which record every call that we have mm -hmm. and use that data set to actually mine the recordings and write down every question that gets asked by a mm. prospect. Nice. And so there's the sales kind of intelligence process to it. Uh, then we were working on, uh, this is kind of my pet project, we're trying to build a taxonomy sort of categorization system that's standardized for objections and feature-based questioning. Mm -hmm. okay. So, you know, basically what's a B2B sales objection look like and can we find standard ways to categorize them? So we're working on that. That's kind of a fun project. But anyway, we yeah. take them all and we say, all right, was this a question about a, this really an objection or is this a question yeah. about a feature or something I want? And, and we look at those and we try to normalize that data set by saying, is this question really about the same thing as this one? And sort of coming up with yeah. a set of questions, rank them in quantity order as they happen. And then we look at those and we say, okay, it's clear that these three, four things are the most important thing that people want to know at this time when they get into the funnel. Mm -hmm. So those are content prompts. Let's take those, move those to the top of the funnel with very active sort of content that because marketing gets you the opportunity to sort of do a thousand to one type of 
of broadcast, yeah. a many to one. Uh, what you don't want is your people down at the bottom doing sales calls, answering all that crap that could have been answered at the top. Makes sense. So qualification gets better just based on having done that because now I can say, okay, if I know people have consumed this or have been exposed at least to this message, some will self-select out because they're not a fit. And so then down, further down the funnel, we can take the very more specific questions that you end up with as you continue that iterating process and you make sales enablement materials out of those. Those would be your specific case studies. Like, tell me about a company just like me where you drove a specific KPI. Mm -hmm. That's not marketing at the top because it doesn't apply to everybody. After pre-qualifying, you would have a sales enablement type of discussion. Um, so once that happens, whenever somebody schedules a call, because again, we're appointment focused, so get a little bit of information in the form, hop yourself to a calendar, book a call. Then we drip them a three call, a three email pre-call sequence nice. that's specifically okay. written to reinforce the three main things that you would have said on the call, but you want them to at least be exposed to that beforehand. And then they show up for the call. And what you've sort of done there is make sure that you qualify out just by activity and self-qualification some of the people that, you know, just like, never mind, I can't afford $3,000 a month. Right. Uh, so you can expose yeah. that information in a way that's more organic and feels as if you're taking care of somebody better than when you have the, you know, sort of uh, the contact form that just says, what's your annual budget? You know, it's ew, gross, yeah. right? Yeah. But I can have a service-oriented mindset where every lead is valuable and we care about you as a human, but it just not might be the right fit for you right now. Here's how you would know so we don't waste each other's time. Yeah. Um, so imagine that happening in a looping fashion because we are recording every call for months. We're doing the same analysis again. And what you find is each iteration of that, a different need arises that is uh, you know, sort of further down the, the content funnel. And you can prompt and you can explain and prompt and explain and prompt and explain. Ultimately, the best people get to the call they're pre-educated the way you wanted them to be. And now we can actually have a rep sell mm -hmm. instead yeah. of just being, you know, sort of a one-to-one -one marketing mouthpiece. Um, so that takes 90-ish days if you do it right, but you really start to drive up the call-to-close ratio by doing that. Yeah. Right, so I want you to help me dissect three, three, at least three schools of thought. So B2B service company, just under a million ARR, they're looking to scale their sales organization and or build it. Founder or founders have handled the sales to this point. Three three options come to mind, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there's more, but these three primary options come to mind. One is we work with a company like yours, right? So founder hires an, an organization like yours, kind of gets that playbook, gets the leadership there, help them scale. Another option is they hire one AE mm -hmm. and mentor them, right? So the founder that does the selling mentors the AE, kind of helps them come, come up, uh, trains them in the methodology that they've been using that's been working to get to that stage. Another option is, and I hear a lot of people talk about this, hire two AEs, encourage a friendly sense of competition, maybe put them through some training, do some mentorship, and let them kind of compete with each other um, as they work their way up. So I'm curious how you would analyze those those options. Well, I've, the best one is hire us. So we have like the second best you better, option. You better say that. <laughs> I'd be like, this call's over if you don't say that. <laughs> um, the second option uh, yes, I would advise a founder, probably such as yourself, that is mindful of that. I mean, just the fact that you came up with that option and it includes mentoring and training 
by nature would tell me that you've already thought about this and uh, that puts you ahead of the spot because while you're doing sales, you and your partner, let's say, mm -hmm. whoever it is, yeah. you probably had the disposition to write down your playbook and do the work that we're already talking about and come up with a methodology and think about in the future, I would like not to be in this seat. Thus, I must prepare the landing strip you know, yeah. with all kinds of documentation and objection handling and training and shadowing and mentoring. And like, I know this is going to happen. So it presupposes that that disposition exists. A lot mm -hmm. of people don't have that disposition as a founder. They've just been running around with their pants on fire and really didn't want to do sales anyway. So please get me out of this seat. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to hire an AE because that's another assumption in the model right there. Like, Hiring an AE completely sucks. Like, it's very difficult. Like, how do I find someone who cares as much as me, who can explain things like I do? Like, you're also supposing that I'm going to duplicate my brain there uh, as, as that founder. No one will ever care as much as you and have the passion as, as much as you. You can teach them a playbook, uh, but they're really thinking about getting paid. You know, sure. like, you now have an employee. And um, that's just that's just different. Like that. So there's all kinds of assumptions in number two that were you to overcome them with a coach or a mentor or mm -hmm. somebody who like that you set out with the discipline to do that for a year. Number two is probably the best option. Uh, absent all of those rosy assumptions that that's more typically the situation that we mm -hmm. see. I've never seen number three. Uh, interesting philosophy. I, I don't know that I would, uh, just not my disposition to set up a competitive landscape mm. like that. I would tell you, um, if you could hire a great AE, that the next hire in, in rapid succession would be uh, what we would call an ops administrator. So we do start with two member teams, but it's the, we call an AE a sales lead. So we have a sales lead and we have an ops administrator whose sole job is to be the support mechanism and team member, keep the, the sales lead, keep the rep on calls and effective and do all the other things. So keep them on stage and you run the theater and Ooh. you make the proposals, you send the emails, you do all the stuff, like make sure that person maximizes their call time. We is find that an that SDR to be slash researcher? Or are we talking, is that a different role? Uh, people, SDR tends to my mind to imply outbound. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say it's more like rev ops. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because they'll, they'll check the email of the person, manage all the tasks. What's the next thing in line? Are the proposals getting done? Has this been reviewed? Has that been reviewed? Gotcha. Uh, proposals contracts like what's next what's next what's next like these are administrators who are, are very good so we'll actually in effect set up a relationship that you might have imagined as a uh, like an executive assistant for the uh -huh. rep but we position it as your here's your peer this is your team you're a, a dynamic duo Got the, it. the ops administrator very rarely even exposes their own email or name. Like they'll answer the emails and, and do all the things as the sales lead, as the rep, which 
creates the illusion of that superpower rep who actually is following up on everything and actually doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing. Right. And honestly, like that's like 80% of the work. So uh, us sales folks on the phone, not that it doesn't take a tremendous amount of skill and energy, it's, it's just not the full package. So if you think you need a closer and somebody who can rock out and be a relationship person on the phone all day, uh, all you just did was create a bunch of work that actually gets sales done that no one's doing. And I think like, and the worst thing to do is to have people like me, who is, you know, like maybe your superstar closer rep, I suck at doing proposals and task lists and managing things and like what's next and like put me on stage. I'm effectively yeah. a, I'm a performance artist. <laughs> I suck at everything else, you know, and, and that's why we built like a, the machine. If you look at it is 80% ops um, with a performer, you know, that can actually now perform. That's great. Let's, let's talk about on stage. So you told me offline that you've been hosting podcasts for five five plus years. I've been a guest on your podcast, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, you do the the Leaders of B two B podcast. I want to hear more about the the strategy. We talked offline about kind of how the sausage is made. There's this. It's new to me. I don't know how new it is in in you know the the startup ecosystem. But this idea of creating content with prospective clients, leading that relationship with adding value in the hope that that would end up, you know, generating a new client or a small percentage of new clients. So just, I want to hear kind of about that, um, that idea and that strategy. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I sort of organically discovered this and it, it wasn't new. People have been doing this, you know, for a while, but uh, let's, let's imagine that the, the most important thing for a sale is really a relationship. Like people buy from people they like. Uh, how do you get a relationship? You know, like who's the who's the most interesting person in the room according to all the networking gurus? It's not the person who talks about themselves all the time. It's the person that asks the most questions. And so, yeah, Dale Carnegie. Yeah, right, right. And so, how do I put myself in a position whereby I am the question asker on a regular mm -hmm. basis? So I, I kind of set out with that thesis and. Well, I have to interview people. Well, I don't know how you interview people. Oh, there's this new thing called podcasts. Or you're not new, but you know, at that point, it was a little bit like, sure. what do you do there? Yeah. Um, and we just decided, well, let's try to get people to come on our podcast. This is five years ago. And um, how would we do that? So we hired an outbound lead company for LinkedIn, which again, at the time was sort of a new newfangled thing to do like hey we're gonna drip people messages on linkedin and now everybody's sort of tired of that but that was new and you know it was but it was an outbound mechanism we said but we don't want you to pitch all we want you to do is invite people to be on the podcast and we want you to get the cto and we started doing that and shockingly people said yes and some of them were big people and important people and more and more important people and and we just slammed out episodes where i got to talk to ctos who was our target client and we could we could sound smart and provide them with a vehicle that made them kind of look and sound like a hero because the purpose of the show well and this was a good insight it was like make the show about what you want them to feel good about talking about not mm -hmm. about you right um so we made the show about how do you be uh, a software engineering leader, you know, mm -hmm. effectively. And 
they got to talk about themselves and then we would take that content and we didn't do it as well as we do it now, but, you know, just sort of post it on LinkedIn or like give them videos, give them social content, brag about them. And then we were the effectively the theater owner that made them look awesome, mm. you know, so put them in the, in the value seat. And I didn't, I didn't associate this at the time, but then I sometime thereafter, you know, read all the Robert Cialdini type of, you know, mm -hmm. sort of influence and, and psychology and all that stuff. And it was really, uh, it was a reciprocity play before I knew what that word was that yeah. if, if I provide someone value first and in a compelling way, they may likely have the inclination to provide value to us when we ask for something. And so then we could gently ask to, Hey, could I, could I ever talk to you if in, in that case, if we were trying to hire, you know, high end developers, right? So like, if you ever need people to add to your team, like, you know, it sounds like a culture that we would like to work with. And so that, mm -hmm. that thing all coalesced. And then we work with a company called content allies that, um, does this now as a service and, and Jake, the founder of Jake Jorgovin. Um, if, if you're ever interested in B2B, uh, podcasting that, that playbook is, is fantastic. And, um, just eight months into making the leaders of B2B from, from zero, you know, episode zero, um, we have substantial PR agents reaching out and saying, will you interview our CEO instead of the whole, like, Hey, will you be on my show? Uh, and then people start, wow, you're an influencer. You know, what do you think about this? And I, I just think that's hilarious because, um, <laughs> you know, I'm an influencer. What, you know, I'm just a, just a dude in my living room with a, <laughs> a decent mic, but, um, and, and you talked about it, you know, the, the conversations that you get to have are awesome. And yes. uh, it, it's almost like a, a masterclass because, you know, I've gotten to talk to all kinds of people that, why would they take my call? I'm just some schmuck, you know, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, I get to have yeah. them on and, and pick their brain for a half an hour and they're happy yeah. about it. I mean, it's just a magnificent mechanism and it feels so authentic and, and good. And then take that and turn that into, again, on the op side, right? Like I get to do the cool part. The op side's all the work. Take that and turn that into all the content and post a whole bunch of times on LinkedIn and tag them and make graphics and make videos and write custom posts and write blog posts and like so much work, you know, like I'm not that guy. I wouldn't do anything with it. I'd be the guy with a terabyte of video on my hard drive, never watching it again. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so again, like ops is everything, right? That's the strategy. So. Yeah. I remember you and I spoke about this and we kicked off the few show and we were seriously considering using content allies and you were like, Jim, you can do this yourself, but it's freaking hard. And I can say, like, after we've done 100 episodes, it's freaking hard. And we have a team <laughs> of seven. That's exactly right. Not, yeah. not including my, my co-founder and I that do yep. the, the calls. We actually have three of us now that do the calls. But it's hard. And the only reason we, we went that direction is because we're just a people business. We had the, mm -hmm. the resources. But I can tell you that I, I wouldn't recommend other people do it themselves. It's just back to the idea, or not back to, I guess we haven't talked about it yet. But I talk a lot about the idea of highest and best use of time in the right mm -hmm. seat. And I think for the vast majority of companies, it makes sense to outsource that process. And we're like, for David and I, we, we literally just show up and do the calls. That's it. Yep, that's you all know? you want to do. I know that's what, what Content Allies provides too. It's just mm -hmm. worth it. Because else, to your point, you end up with a terabyte of, of video on your hard drive. And you've spent all these hours you know, talking to people and you're not generating anything. And then you're disappointing yeah. people when it doesn't get out. So it's just, I don't know, it's not ideal, I think, to, 
Uh, you you have exactly the kind of business that lends itself to build that. But I mean, you're completely right. Like, I tell people that all the time. It's like um, the economics of it. And I should, I should say, like, Content Allies is an Ad10 client. But before that, Content Allies was an Ad10 vendor. <laughs> so we bought this and we're a customer and we liked it so much that we approached Jake and said, can I, you know, hey, can we, can we help scale this thing? Like, this is awesome. Can we run your sales? So I can authoritatively say that we tried to do all this ourselves. It was awful, impo impossible. It just won't happen. You will never release and you never write all that content and you'll be constantly pissed off at yourself for not doing it and leveraging it properly and watching professionals actually do that and the amazing nature of four or five like really compelling pieces of content going out on my social and my blog all the time. And I'm just like, this is incredible. Yeah. You know, and I get yeah. 58 people being like, dude, this is so great. And you know, I would never do that. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, you're so right. And that's that's what I tell people, too, is like this is it's a gold mine if you do it right. But to assemble that pipeline of of people with the project management and all this stuff and to do it for, uh, frankly, the cost that we content allies provides, I think is outrageously good for that. There is no yeah. way I would attempt to even think of doing this by myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I miscounted earlier. We have eight. We just hired a full-time writer. Yeah. Because um, our producer was, was handling the post. Now we have a full-time writer that's creaking out content. So um, it's exactly it's what it is, small. depending on how, like writing is the last piece. Like that's the long form piece and the SEO that yeah. goes along with that. And, uh, you know, so people will say, well, I don't know, whatever, let's say $6,000 a month, right? Like top end package or something like that. Oh well, gosh, you know it's seventy-two grand. I mean, I can hire my own person to do that. And and the fallacy of that statement is that those hours are divided, and that cost is divided across a pipeline of eight different, very distinct skills. Yes. So yes. if you can find the superhero who has enough time and all the skills to do that for seventy-two grand, no. Hire, no yes, no. hire them. You know, buy yeah. them, buy them a house because it's impossible. <laughs> you can't do yeah. it. No, there's a huge variety of skill sets that just you need. We have researchers, SDRs, you know, my, my co-founder and I and, and our um, chief of staff host. We have a producer. We have a full-time video editor, full-time writer. And it's like that's a myriad of different functions. You're not going to find that in one person. And do you really want your audio and video editing human to be your graphic designer and also be your writer? Like it's impossible. Work. Yeah. And then which of those creatives is going to be a project manager? Like forget about it. <laughs> like, right. That's not going to happen either. Yeah. You know. So yeah. I mean, it's just um, it's a neat thing. You know. I, I think it's fun to sell because I'm passionate about it, and that's why we wanted to get involved. And I have seen the benefit of that. Just like I said, just eight months of doing this, people reaching out to us and will you interview my CEO? And it's like, you know, like a unicorn company. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> we got our first of those. We've done yeah. about a hundred episodes. We got our first one. I screenshotted it to David, my co-founder. like, look at this. We made and it, dude. Like, yeah. They're like, we saw the uh, previous episode on LinkedIn. We'd love for you to interview our, our founder, CEO. I'm like, that's awesome. We didn't have to reach out. We didn't ask. And yeah. we've also got about five uh, PR communications agencies that send yeah. us guests all the time. And that's a nice win-win too. Um, it is. Yeah. And so some of the, we work with folks like that too. And there's some good ones like speak on podcasts. Uh, Kitcaster is, a, is mm -hmm. a good friend of ours. Interview yeah. Valet is another one. Um, just there's a, a bunch that reach out and they, and they do nice stuff for you. You know, they'll say, 
Hey, I left you a review on your podcast. I thought this was good. Um, we have a client that you know might be good fit for you, and they'll let us choose. They're not pushy about it. Uh, and I'll say, well, you know, here's what I'm looking for. Does this fit or not fit? Here's the conversation I want to have. And uh, it's just a nice ecosystem. I think podcasting is amazing. Uh, and people say all the time, like, oh, it's saturated. You know, we missed the boat. Hell no, you didn't. Because it's about the conversation with that person and the authentic, That's real right. conversation. Like, yeah. even if you and me did nothing in a podcast right there, like, we would look at this and be like, you know, hey, we have a relationship. We built rapport. Mm -hmm. We talked about real stuff. Like, I know about your kids now. Like, it's all the things you hoped would happen yeah. in a discovery sales call, but it won't because people have their guard up on, you know, it's like, mm, I know you're going to pitch me something, so I really don't want to be nice to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. yeah. I remember, too, reading a statistic. I wish I could remember this accurately, but was it like less than 1% of all podcasts generate more than three or five episodes? I mean, like very, 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 very few actually you know, produce more than just a handful of episodes. So they don't stay the course. So I mean, you can easily rise above all of those by just... I think you're right, though. Company. It is right about that 100-episode mark where people start to take you seriously now. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think everybody thinks this is a great idea. I should make a podcast. Like, it's an outrageous amount of work. And I think that yeah. that's the part that kicks you right away. It's like, you can record stuff, but editing, publishing, hosting, yeah. distribution, mm -hmm. you know, nobody listens to my thing. I get disappointed, like, when I have two downloads and they're both my mom. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> I but that happens for a long time, right? <laughs> you know, so um, I would encourage everybody to do it, but, like, get serious about it. Like, and think about, like, if you aren't going to monetize your audience, it's very rare that you're going to, you know, run ads and, like, make money like that. So... Yeah. I, I tell people, especially in the B2B space, like this is a place that you can get conversations that you wouldn't be able to get and you can do a service to your potential client and some of them will turn into revenue relationships and the rest will accrue to your content marketing and your, uh, you know, sort of thought leadership credibility sure. and um, yeah. that's a good thing. Right? Let, let me ask you this. I, I struggle with this and I, I think that I'm probably not alone. I have a problem asking. And I, I'm so turned off by the pushy salespeople of yesteryear that I'm just, I, the pendulum has swung too far for me. But, but to keep it, keep it on topic for the, the podcast, right? So we, we lead with, with value. We lead with building this relationship. We create tremendous amounts of content, make the guests look great. I struggle to just kind of like share what we do. Now, we do that in, in a couple emails gently. But I'm curious what you would say that. I'm, I'm curious how you handle that personally in terms of, uh, introducing, you know, what you do as a business and kind of making that gentle pitch. I am a sales guy. Uh, I've learned, you know, a long time ago that, you know, uh, telling is selling, right? Like, so I, I must make people aware of what we do. And if I sincerely believe that thing adds value, then right. I, I should ask for an opportunity to tell them. And uh, so occasionally right after an interview, I'll just be like, I think I did it to you, and, and, and I, I mean that in an authentic way. Like, Jim, you're a compelling guy. You would be a good host. Have you ever thought about the podcast channel for your business? And, and we had a real conversation about that. I don't do that in all of them because that's a lie. <laughs> Some of the people I talk to would be horrible hosts. Mm -hmm. So there's that, you know, um, and then – but. I know you could you could take the soft route and just make sure you follow them on LinkedIn and comment on their posts and like sort of work the slow sort of thing and like okay. hey I thought about you saw this article I mean there's a lot of ways to do multi-touch if you aren't comfortable with the ask 
I like to go right in and say, you know, listen, this may or may not be a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. I, did, I did not call you here to pitch to you, but this just occurred to me. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. And it, look at it and turn it around a little bit. And if you have questions, you know, yeah. uh, let's do a call. And a lot of times people are just cool with that. You know, like uh, yeah. everybody has a business problem they want to solve. And uh, I, so I don't know. Look, if you don't ask for money, no one's ever going to give you any, you know. Um, yeah. But, you know, then the... I guess the flip side of that is like I was always told, you know, sort of if you want money, ask for advice. If you want advice, ask for money. So, um, I, again, this vehicle is nice to be able to. I don't know, man. What do you think about that? You know, and like, hey, help me out with this this problem. And it, it becomes like a, a peer group. But people I interviewed years ago still go, hey, man, how's it going? I, mean, I talked to them for one hour. And they remember they talked to Ledge because I made them feel good on a thing. And I'm just like, that's wild, <laughs> man. Like, can you remember somebody you met three years ago at some random networking coffee meeting and had had a 15-minute conversation with? Like, I can't. Uh, but podcast sure. people, they sure remember you. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you have – this is a difficult and probably maybe an unfair question to ask. But I'm curious what you the way you think about – um, close rate percentage. We do X number of, of podcasts following this methodology. What might we expect in return? And also, like, I think there's an element. I talked to David, my co-founder, about this. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like we need to keep the faith, right? Like, so we've mm-hmm. we've done a hundred shows. We've not yet closed a deal from that, but made incredible connections, built incredible relationships, and we have a very high LTV. I mean, our, our LTV, uh, well, our, our ARR uh, from like one client generated could easily be half a million million dollars a year from one client um so it's it's different it's like what would you say like can you assess kind of set a a rough goal and what you would hope uh someone might get in in, as far as a return the hottest i've ever run is about 10 percent of my interviewees have converted to either a referral partner uh, an actual partner where revenue is transacted or um a direct client that's outrageous like that's but that's the hottest we ever ran and i'll go cold sometimes too and yeah you know, so i it wouldn't be out of line to say five though you know yeah. five out of 100 um but again like you know it has to align with like are you talking to the people that are at least in your target demo because that's yeah. important sometimes people yeah. get into this like i just like talking to influencers or you know whatever like well those might be referral partners but then you have a different pitch to them. You're just basically like, I know you touch my client in mm-hmm. a tangent way. Is there a way we could collaborate on that? So you are pitching them. You're not pitching yeah. them on a sale. Yeah. And so would you consider that a close? Like, you know, because if you ever got a referral from a guest, uh, then I would, in fact, call that like somebody you should count into that metric. Oh, yes, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and we have relationships like that that are, are building. But, you know, and I told told David, I'm like, we could do 300 interviews and land one big time client and it would or be, be connected it. to a big time client. And it's so more than worth it. Yeah. I mean, it just, so it really does depend on the business. And I would also argue for, for clients that have, or for people doing this, that have kind of a lower LTV client, they're going to close, be more likely to close that, you know, five to 10%. Um, yeah. I mean, like you're talking about it, like, look, you can't, you also can't, what else are you going to do? You can't hang out a Google ad to sell a million dollar thing. You know, That's your entire right. business is based on executive networking. And yes. <laughs> yeah, at least this right. is another vehicle to get you executive networking meetings. Yeah. And I, I think that's the same thing for every high ticket client. That's why it's such a good vehicle for people we work with. Because yeah. 
you just this isn't like a click the buy now button and spend half a million dollars like what i would still feel like i don't i'm not going to tell you this is perfect but what else are you doing like if you aren't on the phone with three ceos from your target customer every week then what the hell are you doing yeah <laughs> because like you, you have no choice like this is the only thing so at no, least no, let no. us get you those calls and yeah. whether or not you call it a podcast record the thing and make content we all agree you need content marketing we all agree that you have a target client list and that's called ABM and you have an outbound regime that probably returns like 1% on your cold emails and calls. If, if you do it this way, let's get a 10% to 15% return on your investment to get the direct networking call with the CEO mm -hmm. of the company that you actually wanted to talk to and you get free content marketing out of it. Like this is brain dead people. And it's just that, you know, a lot of times we talk to people that are just so stuck in like, well, I should make white papers or I should make webinars or whatever. I mean, this this is the jam. Um, buy it or don't. But I, you know, to, to say podcasts or play out is completely misses the point of yeah. the fact that you need to be on the phone with those people. Let's at least make it valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Ledge, this has been fun waste like tons of tons of value tons of content i have like a million other things i want to talk to you about well, uh, we'll have to do number two <laughs> yeah i'm good with that actually like i i really have a ton of things like i researched your linkedin your post i have all these quotes from you we so didn't hit like 10 percent of what i wanted to talk to you about um, let's do it let's do it next time yeah i love it yeah. so website is add10.co it's uh add the number one and then zero spelled out dot co uh, Ledge is on LinkedIn and shares a lot of really insightful content there. That's uh, backslash um, in backslash David Ledgerwood, all spelled out altogether. And we'll certainly have those on the, the landing page as well. But Ledge, seriously grateful for your time. This has been incredibly insightful. I can't wait for people to, to consume this content and get value from it. Thank you so much for having me. Love this stuff. You guys are doing great work. Thanks. Likewise. Cheers.